Welcome to the PWE and Me podcast, a place where we talk about the workplace, how it's changing, and ways that we can create an experience at work that is inspiring, real, and motivates us to bring our best self to work. PWE, what is it? Well, it's an acronym for Purposeful Workplace Experience. I'm on a mission to help our workplaces shift from being transactional to transformational, and PWE is how we will get there. My name is Carolyn Suara, your host and creator of PWE. Well, we are back with another PWE and Me podcast, and today I am joined by uh, joined with Jen Siegel, founder and CEO of JMS Consulting Solutions from Washington D.C. Thanks, Jen, for joining us today. Hi, Carolyn. Happy to be here. So Jen and I um, have known each other for all of five minutes uh, here on on the show, um, but we connected on LinkedIn, right, Jen? That's right. Yep, that's right. Yeah. So I published an article and I made a bold statement and uh, Jen had um, a really interesting comment. And I said, hey, would you like to come on to my podcast and let's have this conversation for everyone to hear? And so that comment was that I believe culture can change from the bottom up. And uh, and that's what we're going to chat about today um, around um if that's true, if it's not true, what might contribute to that? And uh, and yeah, Jen, really looking forward to the conversation. And before we dive in, maybe you could just share a little bit about yourself with the audience. Sure, absolutely. Thanks, Carolyn. Um, yes, I've been in and around business for about 20 years um, and spent just about all of that in human resources and human capital in various types of organizations. Um, so culture and organizational development have certainly been a piece of my my charge for, for that long. Um, and only recently I decided to step out and really focus on this particular area because I think that culture, modernization, people strategy is so important. I mean, I think it's always been important, but it really is the top of conversation right now and how we sort of shift our thoughts around how we run human resources, how we run organizations and how we you know keep people, you know, how we attract the right people, how we keep the right people people and companies. And so my focus now, you know, as I branch out into my, my new organization is to focus on that. So I'm really thrilled to be engaged with, with you, Carolyn. I think you, you know, probably have similar stories as I do from our experience. Um, and I look forward to, to talking about them. And, and, you know, I think, as I said earlier, um, you know, before recording this, I think there, there really is not one or right, one right or wrong answer. It's really a combination of perspectives. I think there's lots of ways we can imp- impact culture. Um, and I think yeah. we can tackle them all at the same time in many ways. Yeah. And, and what prompted me to write that article was, um, was really the creation of this podcast and the notion that we can, we can create these, um, in essence, small subcultures in our, in our organization and, and that we shouldn't feel discouraged or, or sit back and wait for the person on top to tell us how to act or how to behave. And so, um, it was the first time I was really that bold with the statement. Uh, so I, I'm curious to hear from you, Jen, what, um, what do you believe when it comes to top down, bottom up, and and what made you respond to that article the way that you did? Of course, of course. Um, I think actually the article sort of triggered some of my experience, and um, in my experience, what I've seen is in, you know, in a mix of cultures. I've had a number of different positions in different companies, um, and always in in one way or another, some dissatisfaction with the culture. Right? It could be sometimes it was very severe. Sometimes it was you know it's a good culture, but there's still a number of things we can tweak. Um, and it really depended on the attitude and the temperament at the top, right? The tone at the top. Right. So my response to that article wasn't necessarily, you know, of the mindset that, well, only the CEO or whoever's running the company or the leadership team can decide the culture and whatever they decide it is. It's, it's not necessarily that strong, but I have seen so many times in my career where, you know, a group of employees, you know, they're, they're thirsty for change. They want to make change. They, they band together or we create a committee, whatever it may be. And what comes out of that often is a program or a new um, initiative that we roll out. And until you make some bigger changes at the top, those things inevitably run out of steam, right? They come out of the gate. They're exciting. People are are all in, you know, I've seen wellness programs. I've seen employee recognition programs and there's so much energy up front, 
But by six to 12 months in, um, unless you have that leadership, whether it's a CEO or somebody at that real executive leadership team carrying the flag for it, and not just having buy-in, not just supporting it and saying, hey, I support this, it's great, but saying, I, I believe this and I am with yeah. you on this you know, committee or whatever it is, it just, it loses steam. And so yep. it's that kind of creating almost the bed for this, the, that type of ground up culture changes to happen. You have to create the bed for it. And the bed I think is created by tone at the top. Um, yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. Um, and I mean, I've experienced it as well. I remember at one point, and this would have been 20, 15, 20 years ago, our culture was absolutely defined by the CEO mm-hmm. and how he, um, how he operated with us. I mean, we were scripted on key messages that we had to send out. I mean, the world was a very different place, yeah. uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago. It was very clear who your manager was and who you were to be working with. Um, and I, I think for me, what prompted that article was, do we really have to do we really have to just sit there and and accept the fact that yes the tone from the top will have a great influence and i think for me i was trying to be provocative and and push out that you know things are changing it's not the same it's not the same corporate world that we used to be in we're, we're more cross functional um, and frankly ceos i think are a lot more enlightened and recognizing that it's not just their word and and they're the only thing that goes so I'm curious to know, Jen, from you, what you've seen in terms of of that belief and how it's perhaps shifted over the past 15, 20 years, Mm -hmm. if at all. Yeah, no, that's a good question. And I think that that taps into each of our experiences, right? Um, I think the world is trending in that direction. I think that direction of CEOs or just we'll say leadership, it's not always a CEO, but just the executive leadership, understanding more and more the value of their people and understanding that they have to be flexible and, and sort of you know, listen to their people, that type of thing. Um, but I don't know if I would say by and large that, that that's common. I feel like, you know, some industries like the IT industries, right, the Silicon Valleys of the world, while by no means are their cultures perfect, right, but they, I think, are a little more embracing of um, flexibility and, and, you know, initiatives from the ground up. Um, I just, I see a lot of organizations and particularly certain industries that really aren't necessarily there yet. They have, you know, CEOs or executive teams that really run it. I mean, I don't want to say old fashioned. I think in every way, every company is sort of evolving, but I think a lot of them are behind in terms of really embracing the voice of their people and really embracing and allowing that to thrive to the extent of changing a culture, right? To the extent of really enriching a culture. Um, And so I think that may be where some of our opinion is different. I'm optimistic that it's happening, but I think it's happening slowly. And I think that that's that's what you see with, um, you know, one of the things I bring up a lot is sort of the conversation about millennials, right? And so I bring the word millennial up, even though it's frustrating that we're still bucketing. In terms of in organizations, I get why just, you know, the human life cycle, we like to bucket people. But in organizations, you know, people talk about millennials and I've got, you know, friends and colleagues like, oh, I have this millennial and, you know, mm-hmm. they're not, they, they, they just don't want to work at all. And I can't get them engaged. It's like, it's just not that simple. It's just, these are, this is a different generation that was raised entirely different than we were yeah. yet. Our organizations haven't shifted and haven't kept pace at all. And I mean, the ones you see keep pace are the ones that have, you know, more modern CEOs, whether by age or whether by industry or a little more forward thinking, but a lot of them still have CEOs and leadership that is kind of still operating off of that older structure. Yeah, I would, I would agree. And and I, you know, I put myself into, I try and put myself into the shoes of, of others. And, and I think, man, you know, it is very different. And I have this similar conversation with, with good friends, uh, as well, that, um, the millennials are just another cohort of people. They're just people like, you know, like we were when I, you know, when I was Gen X going through, it just so happens that the world that they have grown up in, has demanded that we change. And so we're all people, we all have needs. Um, and I look back at my experience, I just kept my needs to myself. Yeah. And and you did that because that's what you needed to do to, cl- uh, to climb the corporate ladder. Was it the right thing to do? I don't know. Um, but it was what we did then, just like now it's, it's, um, you know, you pay attention to the balance that you bring into the, into the workplace or, you know, or what the job has to offer. So it's this idea, I think of responding and reacting. And like you said, 
yeah, companies aren't responding Mm -hmm. as quickly as we may like, but I think the sheer volume of of this change of the people in our workforce is, is forcing some of these um, non-believers, shall we say, to change because no one likes to train uh, these great people and then see them vote with their feet and walk out the door. So that's, that's why I am, I am believing for the first time more than ever that, that we really can influence change from the bottom, from the bottom up more so than we have in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and maybe a better representation of, of my belief. I, th- I think it can be a little bit of both, right? I just, I, again, my experience is, um, you know, without the openness, the you know, open-mindedness of leadership and understanding, you know, that we have to engage with people differently because everybody is different and newer generations come in with entirely different skill sets, entirely different, really temperaments in some ways. But mm-hmm. I'm with you, I've said the same thing. We're all just people, right? It doesn't matter when we were born. We're people who have needs and who want to be engaged. Maybe, you know, Gen X and certainly the boomers before us might have been more sort of in in the zone of following the rules and this is how you work up the corporate ladder. It's different now. And just, you know, creating an environment, helping to lead a a trusting environment where um, anybody can help impact the culture. Any group of employees or individual can, can come up with ideas and help impact the culture. I think that that's the way we're going. But again, I think that just a lot of leadership. Um, so, you know, it's slower to change as you, as you mentioned, slower yeah. to change. And I think we, part of the reason why you and I do what we do, right. I mean, it's to help push that along. It's to help companies do that more and more. Yeah. And help create that openness. Now, you had said earlier when we just were getting the conversation going that you shifted recently uh, within the past few years to focus slowly on, or to focus solely on uh, workplace culture, it sounded like. So what, 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 why did you do that and what, what really prompted you to focus that deeply on, on one area? Yeah, I mean, it really, and again, this is a you know, compilation of my full career and in HR, you know, you really cover the whole gamut, right? It's everything from culture and organizational development and training to benefits and compliance and hiring and firing and all of that. And a lot of my job uh, through the years and my team's, you know, job as well was always to handle sort of the, you got to handle the day-to-day. You have to handle the compliance. You have to handle the legal stuff. And a lot of times the afterthought was sort of the culture improvement. And while my team would focus on that, I would focus on that. We really couldn't impact as much as we wanted to from a bandwidth perspective, from a, um, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this from basically everything we're talking about from the CEOs I've worked with and the executive team, sort of their value of what that really brings. You know, the focus was much more on, well, we just need more sales, right? Or we just need to incent our people differently or structure our sales differently. And I would be on the other side of the table being like, actually, if we create a little bit of a better environment, we're going to get the right people in here who are going to show you the behaviors that you really want. If this is what your vision is for the company and this is where you want to go. And so it kind of felt like I got to the point where I was maybe spinning my wheels a little bit where I could, you know, handling all the HR stuff, but really my passion, even my background was more in this organizational dynamics, organizational development side that I realized, you know, I I don't want to say be the jack of all trades anymore. I want to focus on this particular area and really help companies kind of bring them and modernize into not only modern day, but get prepared for the future as well. Right. Aging companies and and the, and the land work and working landscape is changing by the day. It's like, we have to not only bring you to today, but also get you ready for, you know, what it's going to look like one, two, three, five, ten 10 years from now. Right. Um, right. So that, that's really where my passion came from. Okay. And, and in terms of uh, what you, um, what you've seen over the past like year or two um, around this, this notion of workplace culture, what are some of the trends or some of the things that have, um, really stood out to you? Um, I think it it really, if if there's one theme and core of what I think works well and what you really need to work towards is trust. Um, It sounds soft, right? It's very soft, but I think once you build trust, and I mean mutual trust, right? Yeah. Employees being able to trust the leadership and the leadership being able to trust employees. And building that takes time, right? takes vulnerability, takes, um, you know, real open communication, which is difficult, you know, especially when you're dealing with a structure of old where, you know, yes, you share information. Maybe it's a nice quarterly newsletter. Maybe it's a couple all hands meetings, but it really isn't necessarily a, hey, this is what's going well. and This is what we're really struggling with. 
to the degree that they're able to, you know, obviously if you're a public company, yeah. I mean, there's certainly some privacy concerns, but as much as you can be open and vulnerable, even as an organization, the more you gain trust of your employees. And by the way, the more you gain trust in employees, the more they're going to value you and your company and, you know, not even loyalty per se, as much as it is, um, you know, working hard and, and wanting to be there, wanting to, to earnestly help the organization. And so trust to me is core. Um, the other thing that I see a lot of, and this one thing I've talked quite a bit about, is I think in the hustle and bustle of trying to trying to modernize, right, and trying to appeal to all generations, um, even ones that maybe you know we have the organization's not equipped to understand yet, is the, the perks, right? The rush to offer perks, the ping pong mm. tables, the free food, the open, you know, the bar or happy hours at the end of the week, um, yeah. all of these things you know, when you've got a candidate walking through the office and they say, Ooh, look, a ping pong table. I mean, that sounds yeah. great. You guys must be really flexible and really yeah. you know, engage your employees. And it's just, it's not the case. Anybody can buy a ping pong table. And so yeah. sort of ping pong table to me has become like the symbol of in some ways what not to do. Of course, ping pong is great. I love ping pong. But when you're doing that as part of kind of, well, we're trying to improve our culture. So let's buy a ping pong table that has zero dent on really making any real change. You've got to have a right. company that embraces flexibility. And if somebody had a really difficult meeting at two o'clock on a Wednesday and they want to go play ping pong, then that's okay. They should be able to go play ping pong. But that's right. not how it usually works. The companies that, you know, don't necessarily tackle the underlying concerns and the raw issues going on. They have the ping pong table, but it's, you know, only pulled out when it's okay to pull it out, right? When it's right. after five o'clock or something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. I, I can, I can think of, of two, um, two companies I've done work within over the past two years and they have the ping pong tables and they have the fridges with the food and, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of fun at first, but interestingly yeah. enough, we're seeing some similar culture challenges in places like that, that we're seeing in larger, um, older, established, uh, hierarchical organizations as well. And I think the aha for me is, is it, well, I shouldn't say it was an aha, but now I have more data. It's not about generations again. It's about the fact that we're people and, you know, putting ping pong tables in or beer in your fridge, it's putting lipstick on a pig. Um, it, it's not going to get at the surface or like it's, it's only going to hit the surface. It's not going to get at the root cause uh, or the root challenge that we're trying to, to deal with, which is a collection of people to come together to work, to solve problems in a really fast paced environment. Ping pong tables aren't going to help you do that any better. Yeah. I mean, and, and completely agree. And I was about to throw out lipstick on a pig. So I'm glad you did that first. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is unfortunately, but it's an unfortunate term, but it, it's right. Um, and I think that the cause of that, I don't think it's it's meant maliciously. I don't think it's not even meant to be um, like a half-assed kind of approach. I think yeah. it, that a lot of time leaders aren't necessarily, this is not their their wheelhouse, you know, or at least 100% yeah. is in their wheelhouse of how to deal with people, how to deal with dynamics, how to deal with changing generations and, and how to engage them. Then it's easy again to bucket and label, which doesn't do anybody any good. And so the first thing they reach for, okay, well, what can we, maybe if we got this, or maybe we offered free food that would make them happy. And it's not meant maliciously at all, or it's not meant as anything other than we got to figure out something, let's do this, but they really don't know how to, you know, one of the analogies I use, it's not kind of a made up analogy, but I feel like organizations, like a lot of things, find band-aids. They don't intend to find band-aids, but they do mm. just buy sort of quick decision-making, right? So oh, let's get a ping pong table. It'll feel younger. It'll feel hipper. It'll be cool. But that's just another band-aid that doesn't really look at the wound. And so a lot yeah. of companies, actually probably all companies in one way or another have stacks and stacks of band-aids upon each other. And what you really yeah. have to do, and that's again, why I mean, you work with companies like this, is kind of take off all those band-aids and take a look, okay, what's really going on? And let's sort of heal it up. And yeah. sorry, a little grotesque analogy perhaps, but <laughs> it's effective. Um, it but, is. Yeah. yeah. But, but it's just, tough to do, right? Like yeah. I like putting band-aids on. Who doesn't like opening it up and putting the fresh band-aid on? Um, right. You know, throw a little dirt on it, it and call it a day, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But it's hard. It is hard because it, you know, what you run into and what certainly I've run into with my, my own organizations and even as a consultant as well is sort of what they're willing to do and how they can do it. I mean, we could go into a company and say, okay, you've got about 15 different things we got to tackle here. You can't stop business for three months and fix them all, right? It has to be right. iterative. It has to be while the company is still growing or building or 
fixing other things and, and then there's investment dollars as well. And so just being mindful of all that, but it doesn't have to be overnight. It has to be movement, right? And to me, movement, yeah. to me, first and foremost, begins with that trust, that communication, that sort of how can we at least build sort of the kind of how I want, I want to feel like, what does it feel like to walk in the door? And what do you want it to feel like when you walk in the door? That's the kind of environment you're trying to create and what's going to get you there. Well, first, just being more vulnerable, right? Building more trust, building more communication is the starting point. Implementing a a nice HIS system or um, ATS or uh, employee recognition system or employee, you know, a pulse survey system, all that stuff is great, but you've got to create that foundation first. And that's sort of after you rip off all the band-aids, you're creating this foundation and you can build on top of that. And again, you don't have to stop business, but you just have to be selective and, and very purposeful with how you roll out some of these things that help kind of move you forward and modernize your culture. Exactly. And that's, I mean, that's really what inspired me to create PWE, which was, you know, uh, which is purposeful workplace experience. Mm -hmm. And, and you use that word just there, um, you know, purposeful. And, and, and I had the same approach when I was a manager, um, you know, having, dealing with some really tough things in my home life, Mm -hmm. but recognizing that, you know, when I walk through the door I can create an experience here um, that people will at least enjoy and want to bring their best self to life. And so, you know, when I look at over the past three years in particular, this notion of the employee experience has really been elevated, which, uh, which to me has been um, a great step forward. I think, as you said, there's still lots of companies that um, focus overly on the customer experience. And it always blows my mind when they don't see the connection between the customer experience and the employee experience. But um, that's really where PWE was born. Uh, And PWE and me, we can we can all contribute to that. And, uh, you know, now I've got a 15 year old son who who's had two jobs now at the ripe old age of 15. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I see him taking that mindset out there. Like if I can just help this person coming through the drive through, get their stuff and get out the door, then they're going to have a better experience. And he, he knows that the way he's been treated is going to impact that, um, which like, great. Okay. This is good. This next generation will be in a different place than I was when I was uh, coming through the ranks. Yeah, right. There's hope, right? <laughs> yeah, hope. exactly. Now, now you had talked about trust, so um, and that's a big loaded word. Um, do you believe that trust is something? Do you believe trust is an outcome, or is it um, is it is it something different than an outcome? Is it is it something you're trying to? Um, I think, what am I, think I trying to really, say? Again, it creates a foundation. So I don't know if I would use the word outcome. I think it's. Um, it's sort of the, the bed you have to make in order to have a very, uh, not even a positive culture, because not every day is good, right? There's always there's yeah. things that go, go awry, but um, just creating that openness, that, that, that um, getting rid of the fear. You know, I feel like yeah. in organizations, you know, of old, I'm like, okay, I'll, I don't say organizations of old. I mean, it's a lot of the organizations now, companies and organizations um, around the world still operate from this older structure where you put a set of policies and procedures and controls in, right? The old eight to five type feel. Yeah. And I think that that creates, especially in this day and age where you've got, you see flexibility, people can work from home, people work remotely, they work from anywhere in the world, right? Um, as an example, um, and it creates this sort of fear environment where it's like, you know, I've got to make sure I only take two weeks vacation, right? Or I've got to make sure that, you know, I'm here until five. I don't want to leave too early because my boss hasn't left yet. And so there's just this sort of fear mm. environment and sort of, ha- and it's not easy to unwind. I'm not suggesting for in any way, shape or form, it's easy to unwind that and, you know, kind of lower the fear as you raise up the trust, but you, you, you can start. Anybody can start any day. And, it doesn't mean taking all your policies and throwing them out the window, um, but it does mean maybe that flexibility. And, and and when I say flexibility, I can I always feel like a collective cringe from who I'm talking <laughs> to because I've had that happen when I brought a flexibility to somebody else, and they'd be like, "Oh, well, if you mean working from home a day a week," and I'm like, "No, no, 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 no." I just really what I'm saying with flexibility, I'm trying to say trust, right? I'm saying. Yeah. If I got to go coach my kids game or I've got to leave early for doctor's appointment or I just need a day to work from home because I can't stand being in the office, you trust that I don't have to feel like I got to call in and I got to take a mental health day. I'm just going to call or email you and be like, I'm staying home today, you know, and you trust yeah. that I'm going to do the work and I trust that you trust me and I'm not going to have to sit there and look over my shoulder 
and feel like you're checking to see if I'm on on chat, you know, or if I'm on uh, you know Slack every every you know ten minutes or so. Right. Um, so how but, do you do that? How do you do that, Jen? Because I, I hear the exact same thing. It's that constant struggle between if I give them too much rope, they're going to take it for granted. And and who needs to be not in the office that often? It was, you know, we were always in the office. So yeah. how do you get at that building trust piece for people? Again, it's opening up and vulnerability, right? And I, I keep using that term and, and that, that's a harder one to, to really kind of quantify and describe the step-by-step process to get there. Um, but it's it, again, there's a psych, huge psychology component to this. I mean, it's really understanding we are all human. I don't care if you're 21 or you're 68, right? We're all human. Yes, we were raised probably with some different values and certainly in a different time and a different environment. Um, but it's how to create life really is about relationships, right? At its core, yeah. whether it's sales, whether it's personal relationships, whether it's manager direct report, it really doesn't matter. It's about relationships. And the more you build that relationship, the more trust is there. And so it's not a simple answer. And I, you know, I'm not, I don't really have a step-by-step guide on how to build trust, but it's sort of if you're working with the CEOs and working with leadership team, seeing what sort of the dynamic is there, what's going on between them, you know, is there a trust there? And if there's not a trust, kind of working through that. It can be sort of intervention, workshop, kind of retreat. It can be all sorts of things to figure out what what's really going on with this dynamic here. And again, that goes back to sort of kind of full circle to our original topic, right? Which is top down yeah. and bottom up. It, you got to create that foundation. And if your, your leadership team doesn't trust each other, then you can forget the rest of the organization ever having a culture that really is full of trust, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I'm sure you've been there. I've been there as well. I've been in companies where the trust isn't there. And a lot of times what you have is different executive leaders or VPs will take their team and sort of almost isolate them a little bit. And within those teams, sometimes they create a nice culture, but that's also because they put a big fat umbrella over themselves or a bubble around themselves because they don't want to deal with the rest of the organization because it's toxic or, you know, or, or part of it's toxic or there's a mistrust. And that ends up backfiring in a whole different way. I mean, that team itself might be pretty productive and, get along really well and, and work together well. But as far as sort of the organization as a whole and the growth and success of the organization, that can in and of itself be toxic. And so yeah, you, you really, when you're really ripping off every single Band-Aid, you got to sort that stuff out. And so if you sort out what the trust issues are, sometimes it's sort of one person that's creating issues, but a lot of times it's not. A lot of times it's really, you know, not communicating well enough, not building the relationship well enough. Once you start building those relationships and figuring out maybe if there is, you know, somebody on the team who is not operating, um, you know, above board, then you deal with that separately. But once you do that, once you can kind of create that environment, the leadership level, um, that stuff can, and you keep it going. It's not just say, Hey, let's do a retreat and everything's fine and good. Right. You do a retreat or you do a workshop or you just do open communication where you hash it all out. And then you have follow on work and follow-ups and continued meetings where you're open about things and there's a safe environment for it that the CEO and the rest have created, then you can start kind of really, you know, filtering that through the rest of the organization. Again, not simple by any stretch, but necessary in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it's, it's like a journey. I mean, we say that, um, you know, in, in, in our organizations, the two organizations I work with is, you know, we're here to guide you through this journey. It's not, it's not a destination yeah. uh, and it's not going to be an easy journey. So, you know, when we dig into those big words like V vulnerability, um, you know, we really make sure that the teams we're working with are ready to go on that. In fact, there was one client I said, you know, I'm not willing to work with you. I'm not here to just give you the Band-Aid and walk out the door. I'm not here to collect your money and just do a training program. Yeah. Like, If you really want to change things, we have to dig in. And for the most part, like I'd say 98% of the of the, of the people who've asked to work with, with me in the organizations I work with, they're all for it. And, and a few are like, no, no, I'm not willing to do that. I'm like, okay, that's fine. Well, I, I wish you all the best and you know where, where to find us. And, and I think that's the other thing I've come to appreciate is, is meet people where they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I know when I first started out, I think I was being way too idealistic and we can all change. And, and if we all just did it this way and all, you know, focused on people first and, you know, and then reality was like, well, Carolyn, that's not going to happen. Uh, so I've become much better at meeting people where they're at, um, removing the judgment and, and helping them on the journey wherever yeah. the starting point might be. And, and I think that's made me better at doing my job. Yeah. And, and that echoes a lot with me as I am sort of just beginning, you know, my, my journey on this. Um, you know, I, I, in my mind, you know, 
I agree with you. I don't think just doing a training program or doing like a two hour workshop on, you know, how to managers, how to relate to your employees better. That really doesn't have any sticking power. Yes. Everybody will probably walk away with some really good thoughts and ideas and tools, but it doesn't necessarily have a longevity. I think I feel like for yeah. a real change in organization, it, it requires much more than that. Does every organization require ripping off a thousand band-aids? You know, maybe it does, but it, you could probably get away with a lot of other things besides just really that much of a deep dive. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. it's just one team and it could be a leadership team, could be a separate one a separate team that just isn't working well together. And if you could kind of create a better environment there, then that has lasting impact in the organization. And so there's lots of bits and pieces, but I'm with you where it's like a training session or a quick project just to fix this one thing is, it feels a little short-sighted. Um, I totally understand the investment dollars. I totally understand why um, leaders look at that and say, we just need this. But um, and sometimes that is a way to kind of go in and also learn the organization and say, okay, yeah. yes, we'll do the training, but I'm seeing these yeah. other things can I help you with this? Because I think if you do this set of things, you'll be in a much better position. Um, right. I, I understand. I, I can, I can totally uh, identify with what you said. Yeah. And, you know, let's come back to the, to the word that you said too, which is trust. And, and sometimes you do need to build that trust with a company so that they can understand more about you and what you can provide them as a consultant. So um, yeah, I didn't want to be too binary with that statement, yeah. but uh you know, tr- well, trust is at the at the root of all of relationships, right? And, it, and we we want to be able to trust on on either side. So it quite, really is. It really is. Yeah. And, and I don't want to go too far off on a tangent about social media, but certainly in this day and age, you know, I think that relationships are strange and different now because of all the social media. And again, and a lot of the younger generations being raised with that, um, you know, since they were pet, you know, then you know, on social media in one way or another. And what relationships look like online, offline, how trust is built, how real um, relationships are built, I think is just cha- is changing a little bit. And I think we have to honor that and respect that, but also not lose sight of what it means to be in a relationship with somebody, whether it's work, professional, personal, doesn't matter what it takes on both sides. And it takes trust and it takes faith and it takes vulnerability back to that word. Um, yep. and, and, you know, again, with, different generations coming up with having social media from a very early age and social media, I think has absolutely a place and there's a lot of relationships you can form via social media, but it's very different than it is when you're meeting with somebody in person or talking to somebody, meeting somebody, you know, or even when I see my kids, you know, playing with them in the front yard versus interacting with people, you know, online, it's very, very different. And so we have to make sure as we modernize organizations, we also still hold the value of, you know, true interpersonal interactions, whether it's in person or even if it's virtual, you know, on on a webinar or or face, you know, a virtual um, WebEx of some sort, that's okay. It's just being able to see and and talk to and really create that sort of one-on-one relationship that we can't lose sight of. Yeah. The word that I use a lot and I use it, it's actually the foundational part of PWE is connection. Mm -hmm. And this idea that we need to connect and continually connect with people. And like you said, Social media allows us to connect in a certain way. Um, And it's an and, right? Like you and I, for example, we connected on LinkedIn. Never would have been able to do that without, you know, the the great social media platform that that we we did connect on. However, you and I have also both grown up in another era where we can now have a conversation, Mm -hmm. not feel awkward about it and dig into... Um, you know, topics that we wouldn't be able to talk about online in the same way. And, and I look at my kids and then the other generations coming up and they haven't necessarily refined those skills or had that experience to understand how to do that. Um, And, and so one thing that's really become apparent for me is, is helping clients, helping people and reminding them of the different ways we can connect on a human level. And in some ways I feel, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we have to remind people this. I know. <laughs> but at the same time, yeah, we do have to remind people this, uh, remind people of this. And, you know, the power of stopping when you walk into the office. I mean, I was saying this to a CEO the other week. I'm like, you know, just take an extra 10 minutes and walk in like through the floors and you'll be surprised at how much that can do for the people you work with. And he was like, really? And I said, yeah, just like, try it out. Give it a, you know, give it a, give it a chance. 
So, you know, it's fun. That makes me laugh because it's the old MBWA, right? Management totally. around. And you don't hear that term anymore, of course, because yeah. not because we don't value interpersonal connection, we do, but we're moving so fast and internet and social media and all that stuff makes it move even faster and competition makes it move even faster. And it's like, nobody feels like nobody has time for MBWA anymore, but really yeah. you need it a little bit of the, oh, I love the handwritten note, right? That's the one thing yes. I talk about a lot. A lot of people don't even know what that is anymore. And it's like, but maybe I, I've gotten a couple in my career uh, from somebody and I've given out as well. And it's just the time, you know, it doesn't take much time, but just the thought behind actually taking a piece of paper and writing something on it versus sending an email or a text or something yeah. like that shows a different level of engagement. So it's like, I, I feel like the pendulum has swung so very far. It's like, I think, you know, the job of people like you and I is going to just bring it back a little bit. We're not trying to go backwards here, but a little bit of MBWA is a good thing. Yeah. A good FaceTime that that is a relationship builder. Emails, yeah. yes, they help with relationships, but you really, you really want to build trust. You need some of that sort of face-to-face, virtual or in-person time, one way or another. Yeah. It's not, it's not foundational, right? So yeah. Um, yeah, you need to, you need to build that foundation. Um, M- MBWA, for those of you out there who don't remember what that, that is, it's management by walking around. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, it feels like an, that, that I haven't heard that acronym acronym in a while, and it just popped up, and I'm like, yeah, I haven't heard. I mean, 20 years ago, everybody's like, oh, you got to do MBWA, you got to do it, you got to do it, and now no. it feels like we're past it. But again, that's the pendulum gone a little too far, and I, and I hate even actually the term management by walking around. It really relationships by walking around. Yeah. managing people. It's just sort of, how do you build? It could be a colleague. It can be a direct report. It could be a supervisor. It can be anybody, but creating that time out of your day is, is, is everything. Yeah. Just creating the time to connect with somebody. I mean, it's, it's uh, the more we can do it, the more connected we can continue Mm -hmm. to be and leverage all these other elements um, of technology uh, around us. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Is there uh, any other, any other things that you've seen over the, you know, maybe past five, I know I asked you this question earlier, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious if there's anything else um, that you've really seen change or shift in this space of culture over the past five, five or so years. Um, I mean, tons, right? Five years feels this day and age to be an eternity. Um, but I, I think you nailed it a little bit earlier. We talk about employee experience. It really is about that. It's not necessarily about employee retention. In fact, that's that's a term that I feel like has been long over overused and probably deserves to be uh, let go at some point because retention is not what I want out of employees. I want them to come in and I want them to have the best experience they can possibly have for as long as they're going to be here. You're yeah. not going to get 20-year veterans anymore in your organizations. It's a few and far between, and I'm not sure actually with the way the world changes now, you even want that. I think you want yes. people to get some different experiences. But creating the best damn experience while they're here and then they go somewhere else. And you know what? If they have a great experience, they're going to come back. They're going to refer somebody. They're going to be a vendor. They're going to be a partner. They're going to be somebody in the future. You create that experience for them. And so changing our lexicon to focus on really experience above all. And that's not even necessarily engagement either. Engagement's a piece of it. Um, but it's not just trying to how, to, how to unlock, you know, how do we engage our employees? It's how do we create a full, robust experience from the moment that, they answer that that LinkedIn, you know, ping from a recruiter yep. to the moment they leave your organization and even beyond that with alumni events and relationships and how they keep in touch with people. It's that real cradle to grave and beyond um, experience that matters. And so yeah. I think shifting our lex, I, I, there are quite a few um, thought leaders out there that focus on that. Um, people like me and you who you know, operate like that with our, with our clients and so you hear the terminology going that direction, but you know it needs to keep going that way, right? It needs to be less about turnover numbers and stats and all that. It needs to be about the richest experience you can give, rich not by money, right? Because it doesn't always have to be about money. It just has to be about sincerity, authenticity, trust, quality. Those are the, the words that matter. Is there a certain part of the journey? Um, and so if we think of the, the beginning of an employee journey or an employee experience starts from the... The first time they read, oh my gosh, I just about dated myself and said the job advertisement. Um, but <laughs> yeah, the help wanted ads, I love it. Yeah, the help wanted ads. Um, but you know, when they see the posting on LinkedIn or some other recruiting site, I mean, that's really the first moment yeah. of of the connection, all the way through to after you've left an organization. So if we look at that whole span 
of the employee journey, the employee experience. Do you find that there's one area, one or two areas um, that you focus on with your clients or that you suggest like, hey, you can get the biggest amount of, of, of return if you focus here? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if I could pick one or two. I think hmm. that the real experience that they have within the walls of the organization is the most important right? You don't want to botch the recruitment process for sure, because, well, they'll never get into the, into the organization. I mean, I, right. gosh, I read a job listing the other day and um, I can't remember the industry, but it was an, it was like an IT industry. So it was fairly, what I would, in my own mind would call fairly modern and forward thinking that had, um, you know, the old job descriptions that have like, well, you won't lift more than 35 pounds yes. and sit yeah. at the computer for eight hours. And this is a job posting. And I was like, oh, no, wow. no, 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 no. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, yes, that, that is almost a great way to see an indicator of what a company is like, right? How they post, yeah. how they follow up. I mean, if they you know, had how many companies ever have ghosted recruits during the recruitment process. I mean, all of these things lead into it. But really, at the end of the day, it's ex- the experience within the walls of the organization. I mean, you've got to make that as sincere and authentic and real as you can. Um, and, and ideally as modern and, and open and, and flexible as you can, that works for the industry and works for the, the type of work. Um, everything else, like if you, if you just focus on say the job advertisements and the recruiting process, and I've had this happen before, will you really try to sexy that up a bit, whether it's the job descriptions and postings, or it's trying to be efficient as you can with the recruiting process, you know, not having to come back six times, but having to come back a couple of times. Right. And, you know, selling the organization as you believe it to be, but then they get inside and it doesn't feel like that at all. That's deadly. I mean, that, that is deadly. Yeah. So again, making the, the actual experience working there real and authentic as possible, I think is the most important, but it's hard to do one without all the rest. So you kind of want to tackle it all, see what you've got in front of you, what really resonates as what the leaders want and what the leaders believe and the culture that you want, and then sort of break it down to figure out, okay, what can we tackle first? Or maybe a couple of things that are most important to tackle at that time. Yeah. You know, I had somebody, um, somebody last week was telling me a story that their first day of work uh, was welcome. Actually, they received a gift before their first day of work. Mm. And I, I believe it was a bottle of whiskey. I think it was, <laughs> it was a smaller, smart, a smaller startup. Um, but what the, what the person said to me was, wow, it was this little note and a bottle of whiskey. And, and, and he said, I really felt like they were excited to have me come on board. Mm -hmm. And when I arrived there, there was a computer there ready for me. It was, it was like, they were happy to have me there versus his other experience at a larger corporation, which was, yeah, sorry, we don't have your computer ready for you. Um, You're just going to have to read a few manuals or, you know, look through this and that, and maybe go talk to a few people. Um, but we'll get we'll get the computer for you eventually, and and that really triggered something with me because I've had to be the manager to say sorry your computer's not ready yet. Same here. Um, Same here. <laughs> yeah, and it's like oh gosh, but I mean what I would do is clear off my day and and try and uh, and spend the day with them so they at least had a human with them for the day. Uh, but that really struck me. Maybe maybe we don't give bottles of whiskey to people. That right. might cross the line for some people. But, you know, just a welcome. We're, we're glad to have you. Um, so, you know, something, even a note, right? Like even we come back to the note instead of a thank you note, it's a welcome note from, yeah. from a manager or a CEO. Like how simple is that? Yet how powerful could that be as well? Yeah, and, and I agree. And I by no means want to downplay the importance of that process. But I will say I've also been in organizations where we have really tightened up the, the talent acquisition um, and onboarding process so that we have the computers and we have the welcome. We've got a good first day, sometimes first week schedule. The issue is sometimes that I don't want to go as far as say lipstick on a pig because it's not you know, <laughs> to disguise something, but we may have that part of it well, but then you need yeah. to follow on when you really get into the meat of work and the meat of the job. How's the manager up? Are they are they checking in with the person? Are you know yeah. are they getting the communications they need to get? Which often, I mean, I've had times where it's been a year or two before somebody's added to a distribution list, and it and it yeah. because no one tried, but there's IT issues, all sorts of issues, and and so again, I, I the onboarding process has to be good because if you don't if you don't have the computer on the first day as an example, right? Or you you know it's sort of a, a comedy of errors. You definitely leave a bad taste in their mouth, and that's why I would say. Yeah. It's all important. I mean, I think it just depends on where the company is and where probably their bigger source spots are. 
Um, you know, are they not seeing good productive work? Are they, they have a generally, you know, apathetic group of employees that they're just kind of, they get there at nine, they leave at five, they don't care beyond that. Or is it, you've got a lot of departures. You have a lot of people coming in and leaving after six months. That's a big one. That's a a unique set of issues right there that you, all you you really need to do is talk to these people, right? Get some honest feedback, understand what's going on. And and that's how you figure out, well, why are people hiring the wrong people? Or are we really botching the onboarding, which is probably part of it? Or onboarding is great, but everything drops off after week one. I mean, there's a lot of different possibilities there. And so it's really kind of digging to understand that. Yeah, no, and your point is 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 well taken. Is it's not an or, it's an and through all of this, and we can't ignore or downplay one part of the journey because yeah. it will impact. I mean, even at the end, right at the end of a journey, how a person leaves an organization yeah. um, can really impact how they're going to talk about it and their network. And you know, it's a small world, uh, yeah. so it, it really is important that uh, organizations look at that whole broad. Um, experience and not just focus all their efforts on on one area or another. Very, very good point, Jen. Yeah. And you're right. Calling a small world, right, is the, kind of the, the usual way of now, the modern day way of saying it, social media is king, right? All it takes yeah. is one <laughs> exactly. that door and you've got, uh, you've got problems. Um, and, it, and that's why going back to, you know, there really is no one size fix all, you know, it's a matter of, you know, when I go into an organization trying to get a handle on all of this, observing what's going on, talking to people, sometimes using surveys, but surveys have their own limitation as well. Um, but really trying to understand what's kind of underlying, what's going on here, where are the sore spots, where are the issues? And that always prioritizes it. And, you know, again, usually it's not one thing, usually it's a couple different things, but how can you have the biggest bang for your buck, right? How can you have the biggest impact to start with? Let's roll that out or maybe two things out and then let's move forward. And investment dollars can always uh, be fungible. There's a lot of things you can do that really don't cost money. They cost time for sure. Yeah. Your teams, yeah. bandwidth, but they, they don't necessarily have to cost a lot of money. Um, I think organizations have a lot of opportunities for improvement in a lot of different areas and you can pick and choose what's really going to make the biggest difference and, and go from there. Yeah. And I, I like your point too. Uh, it's a good reminder around the fact that these things don't have to cost a lot of money. Uh, one of the guests that I had on recently she shared um, at the beginning of every leadership meeting, uh, so she's the GM at a, at a health club, at the beginning of every leadership meeting, they play a game. And so last week it was headbands. And and so for her, she said it was just really important to get that human connection going at the beginning of the meeting. And I thought, wow, five minutes, like it's not that big of a deal uh, to pull out five minutes. And, you know, another technique that that I use currently with the colleagues I work with, we, you know, we do a quick check-in. Where are you at? How are you feeling? What's the word to describe where you're at? And, you know, simple little things like that to humanize mm-hmm. our workplace they're simple um, yet profound and very, you know, they have a lot of impact. And, um, you know, that's why I want to continue doing this podcast and continue talking to people because there's so much great insight um, from the people who are out there working and, and, and connecting with people. And so, you know, the more, the more we can hear those great ideas and share them, the better. Agree. Agree. The more yeah. we can help, I think the more we, uh, move things forward and make companies and organizations just better places to be, you know, for, oh, for changing yeah. generations and changing needs with our people and changing communication styles. Um, you know, the more we can, we can help move that forward. I think the better off uh, everybody is. Yeah. And, and I guess as we, as we close off here, Jen, um, what would be one little tidbit, uh, one stroke of, of brilliance or genius that, uh, that you've learned um, or, or perhaps maybe somebody shared with you, that helped you create a really good PWE, a really good purposeful workplace experience with the people around you. Hmm. Trying to think of a a good example. Um, I think one of, and this really goes beyond workplace, but I think that goes back to some of the trust and vulnerability and all that is just believing in the good of people. You know, I mean, I think a lot of times sort of the the walls that we put up and let's just stick with organizations again, this can apply to anywhere <laughs> in your life, right? But the walls that we put up are built up over your own thoughts around somebody, what they said, what you think they meant, what they meant to say, you know, what, what they think about you. 
And if I think if you go into it, believing that other people, everybody's just trying to make their way, you know, everybody's trying to make yeah. their way in the world and trying to, to live a good life. And yes, there, there are people, there are times people do things that maybe are a little more malicious or maybe aren't well-intentioned, but 99% of the time people are just trying to do their best and make it through, you know, and yeah. trying to have that empathy and trying to understand and look at people and just think if they're just trying to make their way. Yes. They may have said it in this way and it really it was biting and cutting and they're a jerk. And that usually isn't the case. Usually is not the case. And so just yeah. going in with that, um, some might call it a little bit of a naive approach, but it's fine. I'd rather do that and be burned once or twice than just have a, a mistrust of people and sort of a, a, an assumption that somebody else is trying to get me or trying to steal my sales or steal my business. I think if you go with that approach on how you approach people in general, life is a heck of a lot easier. Um, and, and again, you'll be happier in the end, but you'll also, you'll get further and be more successful in your life the way you want to be because you're really believing in the good. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't say it any better myself. I think that is a, a great way to end off our conversation, Jen. Uh, thank you so much, man. Time flew by here. I, I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Um, yeah. And so I hope our paths cross again uh, in some way, shape or form. Uh, and, and thanks so much for being a guest on, on my podcast. Indeed. Great. Thank you so much, Carol. And it was a pleasure. Interested in hearing more about PWE? Well, I'd welcome you to buy my book, Rules of Engagement, Building a Workplace Culture to Thrive in an Uncertain World. I share stories, personal and professional, about different elements of PWE, and it's available on Amazon or on Indigo. Thanks to all of you out there. This is why we do this. This is why we have this conversation. We look forward to being with you again on our next PWE and Me podcast. Now, the best way you can hear us is to subscribe on Spotify or iTunes. And if you don't like either one of those two, you can always go to my website at carolynswara.com.